0: Hello friends, our executive producer for tonight's show are Can- Lady Campbelltown, heavy on the lady. Thank you very much. appreciate any of you that are supporting us through becoming an executive producer and it works like this. Any donation of twenty dollars or larger automatically makes you an executive producer for the next show. What does the next an executive producer do? Well, they get credits for producing the show they're the ones that fund the show. So what is the, where does the money go? The money's going for our radio music license. That's where it's going. Every dime that we generate, whether it's uh, sells of merchandise coming up or it's a donation through a cash app and a super or a membership, all of that goes right into that. And uh, we're getting closer to the goal. I think we need about two, two and a half months the way we're going now. If you guys would like to help us do that, it's appreciated. And the whole goal of this is to have a, a radio channel that has all the best music recommended, kind of music recommended by the actual audience. And also the kind of stuff that we all want to listen to and the kind of news we want uh, true crime news, uh, non political news, all of that there for all of us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We also take DJs, DJs like you. If you guys are interested in becoming a, a radio DJ, We'll show you how to do it, tell you what equipment you need to get. And yes, it is a paying position. We have info about that. Contact me on our email address, midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. That is midnightrad.io at gmail.com. If you're interested in becoming a member of this channel, there's, I'll give you some information about that at the end of tonight's show. What are we talking about Tonight? I really want to continue the conversation we had yesterday. I have a lot of voicemails about it. Uh, Particularly, I believe about the medication issue, uh, psychotropic medications. I got an email telling me how to pronounce it, saying I was pronouncing it wrong, but I don't remember if it said psychotopic or psychotropic. So I'll look in the chat room right now and see if you can correct me on that. And part of my mispronunciations aren't mispronunciations, it's my Texas accent, so bear with me. Regardless, I'm gonna continue the conversation about that after these messages. This is Midnight Radio. You're watching it or you're listening to it. I'm your host, Jerry Adams. You guys say psychotropic, we'll roll with that. So follow follow me here. We're going to continue your voicemails about that because this is a heavy subject. A lot of you have experience with that. I do not. I'm here to learn. I'm here to have a conversation with you. And after all, that is what this show is. Uh, A lot of you tried to call in last night. It always makes me feel bad that you guys can't always get through, but well, we only have so much time. We did like a three and a half hour show yesterday. I also want to talk about, go deeper into a topic we talked about yesterday, and that is the whole Papa Rogers thing. I know some of you guys might be tired of it, but we had a theory, a wild ass, what seemed like a wild ass theory at the time, that one of his professors, Might have taught him about the said Papa Rogers. And we dug in his past, you, you cyber sleuths, and we found something. We found a professor that taught him about the incel movement. He's also not able to speak about him or what they talked about. So, we're going to go into that deeper. We have some more information about that for you. And then... We're just going to continue on the conversation tonight, but, but first, um, I want to let you guys know about the live stream. Some of you guys wonder where I'm at, you know, when we start right at five or a couple seconds after. Well, about 15 minutes till I normally start up the live audio stream, so if you want to see what's going on behind the scenes, you can click on that and listen to us. Tonight, we had a wonderful, uh, I'd call it a tribute song to Ashley Banfield. Sung by nothing other than me and myself and my backup singer, so those of you that heard that you were you were you were really treated to something quite wonderful. Those of you that weren't you were also treated to something quite wonderful, but I'm going to treat you all right now to another clip of your girl, Ashley Banfield.
1: One big unanswered question hanging over the Idaho murder case, and that is why? If Brian Koberger really is the killer, why? Why did he do it?
0: Right
1: now, it appears there is only one person in the world who knows the answer, and Koberger ain't talking. But there might be a way for the rest of us to retrace the steps that led him into that cold Moscow jail cell. A series of posts that were found online, some of them really disturbing. Oh, no,
0: Ashley. Just Mike has been my written material. by Koberger
1: when he was a teenager.
0: No. No. Here's an example from uh-huh. 2011
1: when he was 16. It reads, I see oh, a large didn't. intensity of black, yellow, white fuzz. It makes my mind fizzle, my mind's and fizzling. I can barely keep in the bounds of reality. It is as if the ringing in my ears and the fuzz in my vision is simply all of the demons in my head mocking me. Dozens and dozens of posts like this were written on a site called Tap-A-Talk in a forum for people who believed that they were suffering from a condition called visual snow syndrome. News Nation has not been able to independently verify that these are Coburger's early posts, but there are strong indications that they are. And I'm joined now by the two people who found them. Laura Mathias is a reporter who's been following this case very closely, and John.
0: Isn't this. Unwarranted speculation that the news media doesn't talk about? I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood something. This is the lady that's off of uh, YouTube, but now she's just calling her a reporter. Okay. Oh, she's the one that found it. Okay.
1: Matthias, her husband, is a clinical and forensic psychologist who's done a deep dive into what the posts might mean. Together oh, okay. they host the Hidden True Crime podcast. And welcome to both of you. Lauren, how did you make this discovery and how did you link it <laughs> brian kohlberger
2: yeah it was the hidden true crime team that did this together and there was a verified email address that we used okay. that uncovered these writings um, from 2011 the post the photo looks to be a side by side of brian that the username is an email that he used as well as his uh rapper name. He did some raps online and he confirms his own birthday and a relative's address as well as living in Pennsylvania. So things do seem to add up as well as the hundreds of pages that we have poured over reading everything matches up to look like this is Brian Koberger writing as a 16-year-old boy.
1: And there's like an array of, of, of writings. You say hundreds and hundreds of pages. That's just remarkable to start with from a teenager. But this went from 2009 no, to not really. 2012. On social media? I think ages 14 to 17, John. And just sort of your overall impressions of the, the impressions. body Is of what even allowed he basically to, to do this?
3: I think there, there's a couple pieces here that are most relevant. There's a couple pages that really kind of speak to his mental state at the time. But... I think the overall picture that emerges here is this is a very troubled adolescent with many mental health issues. In fact, there's there's so many symptoms that he identifies, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, that's it's.
0: What? That's all you got? Come on, really? That's all you've got to say? Did you come up with that on your own? Or did they tell you to say that? All right, I'm not trying to be cynical, but I just expected more. I'm just letting my... Just letting my uh, emotions be seen here. Okay, I'll be all right. All right, think about it, Ashley. Think about it, Ashley. All right.
1: Sad and scary, sort of all at the same time yeah. to hear that because you think of a teenager suffering, but then you right. think we're going to go deeper than the person this we're talking about, and it's hard to feel any sympathy at all if he's if he's indeed the killer. Lauren, in 2009, the posts were pretty short. But then in 2010, they start to get longer. They're more confessional. Uh, they, they don't talk so much about his visual snow condition, whereas, you know, you're, it's a physiological situation where you see, you know, a snowy outlook on it's life, basically. But nerdy.
0: these ones. Hold on. I'm sorry. I am so sorry about this.
1: Are more about his childhood and his life. Let me read this one. I can't remember anything recent or anything from childhood. Now I am just a blank soul living in the now. My mind is never not on visual snow, and I always wonder what a normal person would be doing while I sit there and suffer. This whole thing has made me crazy. I feel like my life is pointless because
2: people can see the time Childhood Hello, Lauren, if never gotten help for this, saw a doctor if anybody reached out. So, thank me. What medical help he got, we do see that on these on these posts uh, throughout these years he tries different diets. He works really hard to try an array of diets, which actually confirms what you know a relative and friends have said about him being a very strict. of is a yet, a yet he doesn't have a record, um, and that's why I I said John, like you've got to look at these. What what do these mean? This can't all be
4: health issues, right? Well, one of them, I mean, let's
1: talk about that, John. In 2011, he's sort of latching onto this toxin theory. He says, "I'm going to talk to a good neurologist about this, one that is very open-minded." I think. This really is the cause. It might be the arteries being inflamed. It could hurt very bad. This seriously could be an issue that's undiagnosed. And then he goes on in 2011 and starts to tell people how to treat themselves. Like, he starts...
4: I've overgrowth all the way to fungus.
1: I believe I caused my visual snow by too much toxins, the toxins know, from the sweetener I used, and also too much caffeine chemicals. I also lived in a moldy house. When something is happening in your brain that shouldn't, chemicals are being released that shouldn't. These chemicals are released because we have toxins that our body doesn't want. It is going. John, do we know if this might have been the start um, of him becoming a vegan to try to treat himself? Because it certainly looks like he's telling everybody uh, no, we don't, that, you know, eat plant-based diets and, and fruit juices to, to heal themselves.
3: It, it does seem like he, he became vegan around that time. This, this is also a time it, that's consistent with him losing a significant amount of weight. One point I want to make about the visual snow is that, you know, to me, one of the issues here is he wants to attribute all of his problems and all of his mental health problems to to the visual snow, right? And and that's a big question mark about whether is the visual snow causing the mental illness or is it the other way around? Is it the mental illness that's contributing to physical? All
0: right, it's obvious to me these guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. But it was a good show, would not it? Ladies and gentlemen, Ashley Banfield. I'd like to personally thank Weird Al for making that, that whole report a little bit better. I appreciate that. For those of you that don't like it, I apologize. For those of you that do, I still apologize. So, Okay. We're going to go ahead and dive into that right now. Just a little bit more from our information, what we've uncovered. I'd like to thank the viewer that sent me this information about to share with you right now, especially if I can find it. All right, let me uh, go back. I want to read you guys the genesis of this. This all started. Yesterday, we talked about it on the show, but I want to sum it up again. And I will show you. Well, should I show you? It doesn't matter. You guys can just hear me read it. That's just fine. So I'm going to read this for you. I'm going to show you the pictures real quick again. This is about Papa Roger's name origin. Might be a little out on a limb on this one. Elliot Roger, the misogynist, incel hero, killer in Isavista, California. Papa, the somewhat common alternate name for grandpa. I read that Elliot Rogers' father is a documentary film producer slash director, but the Papa Roger name made me wonder his grandfather was noteworthy for some reason also. Ends up his grandfather was an acclaimed photographer slash war correspondent. That is said to have been traumatized by his experience in war, who thereafter concentrated on societies that existed in close relationship with nature. I thought that Nothing Burger would probably detest being thought of as an Elliot Roger copycat slash prototypical incel, but maybe he'd be more at ease portraying himself as some sort of superior esteem part of the same tree. Sort of an I'm like Elliot Rogers' daddy's daddy in his mind, the ultimate in a sense. The trauma of war jives a little with his depression detachment language from those 2011 posts, the ones that Ashley just went over. So then I took a look at some images from George Roger and was struck by how much the Papa Rogers profile photo looked a lot like a cross between nothing burger and George Roger. One of the problems with the comparison is that Papa appears to be wearing a Soviet era style military hat. Though the clothing is otherwise a close match, but then these killings did happen in Moscow, right? Uh, could that just be a nod to that? I'm not claiming to be totally sold on the name, origin myself, but I believe Papa is very likely Cronenberg. Name had to come from somewhere. What do you think? As always, feel free to or to use this or not. Now, I want to show you these pictures real quick, and i will to give you my response. We're going to go into our new material regarding this matter and why I'm bringing it up again today, because I got some big info on this matter. That's why. All right, so this is Papa Roger, George Roger, right? These are his pictures. Just quickly flashing them up here. A link to everything I'm talking about is going to be in the description below after the show. Now I'm going to read you my response to this email. I think this information is very interesting, but I'm not sure if... Nothingburger went so in-depth into finding a pseudonym. Since I operate under the assumption my opinion is of little value, I can also argue that he might have learned about Grandpa Roger in a psychology course on a topic which focused on the ravages of war. No doubt a character a professor brought up. Perhaps the professor is a military veteran himself. Conceivably, he thought violence lived could breed a peaceful mind. Nothing Berger longed to fill. He thought violence, is study, and then the act of committing it would make him feel humanity and bring him redemption. Little did he know, in fact, violence and murder is the epitome of emptiness. His act turned the eyes of a violent world directly at him, a world seething, frothing, and foaming with anger, righteous and unrighteous, all waiting with bated breath for him to drop the proverbial soap. To sum up, you might be right, and if you are, I'm confident a past professor would automatically know exactly where Papa Rogers come from. If they saw the email you sent me about it, one thing I picked up from the psychological profile I ran on Nothing Burger is he has an almost complete lack of imagination. Everything he's done, his whole life, is all based on what others have taught him. Thank you for the thought-provoking email. and I got another one from him today. And something I want to share with you. For what it's worth, Catherine Ramsland at DeSalls definitely taught on incels and Elliot Rogers specifically. Hard to imagine family background wouldn't be a part of that. It's interesting how entitled Rogers was, in spite of ultimately acknowledging that he couldn't get the women that he felt entitled to. Nothing had that professor recently revealed that Nothing said, of himself that he could get any woman he wanted. That obviously hadn't been the case for him either, but he seemed in denial about it. That statement feels more reflective of the way Bundy was portrayed and the charisma and the charisma he actually had and weaponized. Still, feels like Nothingburger is more of a pure incel in denial about that limitation, while unavoidably being influenced by them and just desperately wanting to be something more glamorous in the world of mass murderers. I asked him, are, are we sure that Kathleen Ramsland was his professor? He said, yes, yeah, she definitely was his professor to Saul's in Pennsylvania. And has told the media that it prevents her ethically from commenting about him in the case, etc. So let me show you this article that Kathleen Ramsland wrote about incels. I think this might be revealing. I showed you guys blank page at the whole time. That's all right. All right. So I have this article right here called Contagious Hate. This is by Kathleen Ramsland. She was a professor of nothing burger. And it goes like this. I'll read some of it to you to let you know. When I show you just five minutes of the whiny YouTube clips of mass murderer Elliot Roger to my students, it's obvious from female reaction why this entitled narcissist had no girlfriend. Although they think he's moderately attractive physically, they find his self-pitying rants repugnant. So I'm surprised to find him acknowledged by Toronto's most recent mass murderer, Alec. Manassan as a hero. But of course, he'd be elevated by those who see themselves in him. Thus one dark side of social media. Copycat wannabes, infected with hate, can create role models by spinning depravity into virtue. Roger himself did it. The twenty two year old resident of Isla Vista, California was angry that he could not attract the sorority girls he believed he deserved so he threatened to make them pay. On May 23rd, 2014, Rogers set into motion his day of retribution. He fatally stabbed his two male housemates and their friend before uploading his final nasty video. He expected to enter the Alpha Pi sorority house at the University of California at Santa Barbara and kill every woman inside, but no one answered the door. Frustrated, Rogers he hurt people outside until his rampage ended when he crashed his car and unlived himself. He killed, he unlived six and hurt 14. Rogers' autobiographical manifesto, My Twisted World, revealed his anger and his desperate need for a certain type of woman. He couldn't have just any girlfriend. Obsessed with the fact that he was a, a virgin, he described himself as a supreme gentleman who deserve the best. At the same time, he heaped scorn on the very women he wanted. He'd likely be pleased today by the notion of going ER, a reference to falling in his footsteps. Manassan 25, went ER. He ran a van into pedestrians in Toronto this week, killing 10 and injuring 14. He posted a message on Facebook that aligned him with a group of men, some of whom despise women for reasons similar to Roger. It seems that Manassin, who'd recently yelled to police to unlife him, was hoping to become this group's next martyr. The group of incels, which means involuntary celibates, that's what incels mean, means, ladies and gentlemen, involuntary celibates. It seems that some frustrated males have banded together on websites to complain about their lack of success with women and their hatred of female power. One person uploaded a picture of Manassin and wrote, the incel revolution has begun. Another wrote, Alec Manassen spread the name, speak of his sacrifice for our cause. Worship him, for he gave his life for our future. A third hope to become the next saint. I'm going to leave this right there, and I'll let you guys read the rest. The link will be in the description below. I want to know what you guys think about this. Hell, I want to know what you guys think about everything i want to know what you guys think about everything uh matter of fact let me play some let me play some voicemails Oh, um, one last thing That a uh, funny picture one last thing uh, uh, let me play your first one
5: I'm listening to your program right now, All right. and I kind of have an issue with the roommate. She was in the room and she heard people talking and people crying. Then right after that, she see him leave. They said he was only in there nine minutes, and she didn't call nine one one. But those two two of the uh, kids were alive for sure because they were talking and crying. And I don't know about the girls upstairs at their lives. She didn't say anything, but her not calling nine one one stopped those kids from the chance to live. If she'd called nine one one, the uh, you know, ambulance would have come, and maybe they could have saved their lives. And her not doing that was terrible. Okay, so I, you know, like you saying, don't make feel, don't give her a hard time, don't all that, but. I'm saying, what about the victims? The victims that died, they could have lived. So anyhow, that's the issue I'm having, bye.
0: All right, but you weren't done there.
5: Oh, one last thing, that, a funny picture. One last thing, um, you know, when she'd open her door, she would have seen Ethan on the floor. They said he was on the floor by the bathroom. She would have seen him on the floor in the blood and all that. I just don't believe that she didn't see that. So I was had some thoughts on that, too. Okay, bye.
6: Okay, this is my message, and you don't have to leave it on the show. But um, the whole moving of the stuff out of the house by the defense uh, people was kind of creepy, uh, mattresses and... And they were just throwing random ass into some like pickup trucks. Just saying, my thoughts. Uh, they could do a great show. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Thank you very much.
7: Hi, this is Sheena Hi, from Sheena. upstate New York. And I was listening to Cynthia's theory, and it kind of goes with what I was assuming. Knowing that Brian probably was in rehab for a drug addiction, even though he had his um, master's and he's going for his PhD, would he ever be accepted by any criminal force, law enforcement, such as FBI, CIA, even the troopers, with a past of drug um, use and? Unfortunately, I don't think that he would ever pass to get into such enforcement. And I believe when he started going for his Ph.D., he realized the same. So everything that he has studied for and wanted to do, he would be unable to get in. So my belief was he was just turning to the other side. And thank you for letting me voice my opinion, and thank you, Cynthia, for your lovely explanation. Bye-bye.
0: And thank you very much.
6: Well, this is about the drug, uh, started with a Z. Well, I was gonna call live. Um, I had a friend that came visit me in Texas. Well, whatever, I assumed she was on that drug and another one named Adderall, probably, well, there was a big event, say, Dickens on the Strand. Well, the day, when it came for the day of the event, this girl absolutely could not motivate to do anything. And then she lives in Tennessee, and she has a roommate that would actually get so messed up on the the Xanax that... the neighbors would see her out front sitting in the chair um, you know with her head down between her legs and so she was really messed up on this drug so the friend that came to visit me she had no motivation to do anything and I didn't know exactly what she was on but I assumed that she was on those kind of drugs so Just sharing my input, I had a friend that ruined a big event, kind of like Mardi Gras, and pretty much couldn't function to do anything. So, thanks. This is Wendy, 281 300
0: Oh, no, 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 no. no. Don't put your phone number on here. But thank you very much, Wendy.
8: Hey, Jerry. This is Campbelltown calling you. Hey, Lady (laughs) Campbelltown, everybody. Um, Anyway, I just wanted to let you know that um, one of the drugs that – wait, let me turn this down. The Prozac is one that um, you can – well, I can take if I need to, and it's one that if you stop taking it, you don't have the withdrawal withdrawal symptoms or a bad come down or anything like that, so – a lot of the other antidepressants um, you get physically addicted to, and Prozac is not one of those, at least not for me. Now, the reason why I started taking Adivan is um, my husband passed away, and, you know, I was there and he died. He had cancer. you don't have the withdrawal withdrawal symptoms or a bad come down or anything like that. So a lot of the other antidepressants um, you get physically addicted to, and Prozac is not one of those, at least not for me. Now, the reason why I started taking Ativan is um, my husband passed away, and, you know, I was there when he died. He had cancer, um, but, you know, he... I had a two-year-old, and I had, you know, preteen, and I wasn't handling it. I was just saying, I'm okay, everything's good. After you passed away, I was just, like, going and going and going. And uh, I had a full-fledged panic attack, and if you've never had one of those, I mean, it's, you actually feel like you're dying, like the ambulance had to come and everything, and everything was fine with me, and they're telling me, you're having a panic attack, you're having a panic attack. And sure enough, yeah, I did. I had, I mean, a full-fledged panic attack, and that wasn't the first time I've had, like, three of them. Um, but so I keep the Advan as needed. Now, this was like, you know, he died 13 years ago. So, I mean, watching a man a day after he turns 40 die is just horrible, plus having two kids on top of it and everything, you know, but, but we're good. But... um you know, I just wanted to say, it's okay to try if you need something, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not addicted to anything or, or I, and I really don't even take it unless I feel one coming on. And now I've learned what it feels like when, when one's happening and it, it just happens for no reason. You're not, it doesn't happen when you're, I mean, like worried about something. I mean, I was having lunch, I was with my friends and it happened. It's, so bizarre. It really is. But anyway, so um, I just wanted to tell you that. And I'll talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye, Jenna.
0: That is rough to think about having a panic attack when there's nothing going on. It just something in your mind, even though you're not thinking about it at all, but some chemical or some pathway in your mind is triggered your synapses are triggered and you go into a panic attack I've, I have had a panic panic attack before twice it's a bit different than PTSD I didn't I wasn't uh had an ambulance called for me and it was seemingly though I mean there were things going on that triggered a nervousness but it wasn't anything severe that should have caused something like that well In one case, I was counting money to somebody. Yeah. At a casino in the hills of California on an Indian reservation. It was a dark and stormy night, literally. And I was counting money to the actual chief of the Indian tribe. Had an attack. Um, It was mild, I will say that. And there was one time when I was in a a military school, when I had something similar. I remember, all right, that's a story for another time. But what I learned from this call is, first of all, I'm very sorry you went through that, uh, Lady Campbelltown, but I appreciate your calling and let me know that there are medications that you can take if you need them and it's okay to take medications. And, and it uh, helps me reiterate the point, but that my point wasn't that nobody should take medications and medication doesn't help. All you need is uh, water and salt and lemon juice or something. And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is let's have a discussion about it. Uh, some of it is damaging, some of it isn't. Uh, and she came up on the side of, there's a place for it and I appreciate that. If you guys have experience taking medications and the way it affected you mentally, I'd like you to call in and tell me about it. I appreciate that very much. I'm gonna open up phone lines here in a little bit. I wanna continue this conversation with you. I know a lot of you have experience with it. And I really appreciate her phone call and I'll remember I'll always remember that. Um, I don't think I need any medication at this point. I think I'm pretty good, but it's good to know that that there's something I could take as needed and not something I'd have to take all the time. If you're watching right now, I'd appreciate it if you guys hit the thumbs up, I appreciate that. Also, if you subscribe and hit the bell, if you hit the bell, that'll let you know when we go live and it'll allow you to continue in the conversation. I appreciate that a lot because that's what the show's about, it's a conversation with you. That is the whole purpose of the show. Now, before I open up the phone lines, which is going to be after this wonderful video with the girl, Ashley Banfield.
1: ...are moving in, as Brian showed you, um, trying to get their lives back together. There are still constant reminders of the murders all around them. Uh, just minutes from campus, as you saw. That's the scene. Just... You know, yards and yards and yards of yellow crime scene tape wrapped around a house that used to be kind of a centerpiece for fun in that community. And that house is going to stay that way, at least for the next few weeks, because the defense has asked that it remain a closed murder scene um, until February 1st. Investigators were there as recently as Friday. They were taking things out again, including the mattresses, presumably. Uh, we think maybe for testing, uh, maybe for preservation purposes, but they tried to cover them up the best they could. Um, then just a 10-minute drive down the highway, this is the scene, neighboring Pullman, Washington. That's Brian Koberger's home at the Steptoe Village Apartments. It's also been a beehive of activity where Koberger was living on the night of the murders. And Of course, the investigators have done a full search inside that apartment. They've hauled out loads and loads of evidence, including a computer tower. But all we know the tower. is what we saw with our own eyes. Because as I mentioned earlier, this, the search warrant, is sealed. You know, both the reason for them going in in the first place and then the accounting list of everything they took out. I want to bring in Darren Kavanoki He's an attorney and the host of the investigation discovery show, Deadly Sins. And Chris Anderson is a former detective who has investigated more than...
0: All right, I'm going to go ahead and open the phone lines now and hope that one of you guys interrupt this. Please do. Phone lines are now open. 325 Three, two, five, two, six, one, zero, eight, nine, two. whatever you wanna talk about. These guys are experts and they're about to tell us nothing because the warrant is sealed. What could they possibly tell us? Where do they tell us? They're both wearing black glasses and they're gonna tell us with a smile on their face and an air of superiority. And then
1: 300 homicides, he's the co-host of the Investigation Discovery Show, Reasonable Doubt. All right, you guys, I'm, I'm glad you're both here. Uh, when I saw the reason for the affidavit being sealed, I just I just thought it was pretty strident. I mean, some of the language made me think, Heavens to Betsy. I mean I've seen search warrant heal before and it to says we the investigation, Period and a story. But they use these this language that was, you know, prematurely in the investigation threat to public safety. Darren, I'm gonna start with you. Um, as a lawyer, what do you make of that language?
4: Well, I think the threat to public safety is the idea that if they release the affidavit and the items that were actually seized, that it could compromise the investigation, and that the individual that everybody is so confident actually committed the crime uh, may be able to dodge a bullet as a result, uh, that the the integrity of the investigation would somehow be threatened. Although I hate to take the wind out of anybody's sails, but I'll just remind folks that are feeling the sense of relief as they go back to school that an arrest is not the same as a conviction. And uh, Mm -hmm. there's a very different standard of proof that's involved. And, and of course, that's one of the fundamental reasons why that uh, the information concerning the search warrant is kept under wraps.
1: So, Chris, jump in on the fact that this is neighboring you know, Pullman, Washington, it's another state altogether, and I get it. Mm-hmm. Police work uh, together. They work in tandem. The FBI was working with the state, was working with, with Moscow. But now you're in another state. Was this a, a request made by the teams that are working, the prosecutor possibly, um, in, in Idaho of the Pullman police? And would they play in the sand this well? Would they instantly acquiesce to any request that might be made?
3: Absolutely. Look... You know, there is information that suggests that the defendant in this case is actually guilty. No police department wants to uh, be the cause of any uh, disruption in the investigation. So they are going to do everything that's asked of them to not release information, to not uh, say too much about what was found or what they did, because it only goes to help the defendant and his uh, uh, defense in this case. So, yeah, I can see them not wanting to say anything.
8: Y'all wait.
0: I knew I was about to get a commercial. I knew I was about to get one. I should have known. I think we'll leave it right there on that. Again, a link to everything we're going over tonight is going to be in the description of the show. It's going to be below. Now we've gone over some old stuff. We've gone a little bit deeper when we're talking about nothing burgers, professor in the Genesis of Papa Rogers. Isn't it a coincidence? Isn't it a coincidence? Well, we're going to see when it comes to trial, they have his computer. They're going through it. They're going to know if it was him. We're also gonna have his phone. You can also post on phones, so we have that to look forward to coming up. I also have some real information for you. I call it real information. Uh, let me look up the time stamps on this to make sure I get it correct. I got this video where Steve Gonzales <laughs> talks about some information and possibly let it leak something we didn't know before. The time is. 13.05 is 16.20 on this video that I'm about to show, right? Cheer, uh, cheer. Here we go. Let me pull this up for you guys. Ah, uh, you know what? What I'm not good well, okay. All right, here we go. If you guys want to see it, it doesn't need to be seen. You could have just heard it, but here we go anyway.
9: He was touching their wi-fi their, uh, his phone was touching their Wi-Fi. there's mm-hmm. going to be some kind of connection that i, I was i would buddy in america
10: is like that's the.
9: over there for a year he i'm assuming that he followed them and he may have figured out what their patterns are and then you know he tries tries to bump with that in, in, inside me
2: there go.
10: i know everybody's been asking you this question but do you know of any connections between kaylee and any of the victims and this individual
9: uh, to me i mean it's like nine ten miles i mean th- i'd be shocked if these guys didn't cross each other in grocery stores and just everyday life so i'm not going to be that surprised that uh there's going to be some type of thing that comes up in you know i've said it whether it's grocery store or coffee or something i mean if he was over there for a year he i'm assuming that he followed them and he may have figured out what their patterns are. And then, you know, he tries tries to bump into them or he tries to hang out in those spots and, uh, you know, coordinate, you know, trying to cross in. But I don't know how important they really are at this point. I just know that uh, it happened and we may figure it out as the case develops.
10: And I just look at that from, I think anybody in America is like, That's the next question, right? Is why them? Like, why why would he target these people who he had no ties to? And and it just feels like such rage to do that to somebody, to four people.
9: Yeah, and that kind of just tells you who he was. Because you know he wasn't tied to everyone in that room. Ethan wasn't supposed to even be there. And, you know, from what Ethan went through, you know that this guy just wasn't a man of character he was just poorly built and uh you know there isn't going to be some kind of connection that i i would i would think that would explain this
10: you don't think there's going to be some kind of connection that will explain this
9: no what kind would i mean like yeah. my girls bullying him or you know what what kind of behavior could explain somebody being this brutal to another human being i mean. He was probably obsessed with just their overall looks and their social media accounts and the fact that they were close, you know.
10: Makes you sick. It's sickening, I'm sure, to see the information that came out in the affidavit about how he had been by the house multiple times prior to the murders as well. I don't know if you guys knew that early on.
9: Yeah, and close enough that he he was touching their Wi-Fi, his phone was touching their Wi-Fi, yeah, so... You know how close that is. If, if you, you've had a laptop, you walk out into your front yard, you're not going to get too far.
0: So
10: I don't think I saw that part. Wow.
0: You guys get that? That before the murders, he was there in the yard of that house. That's how close he was. So they know he was stalking. Now, there's a lot of argument online about this that, Steve made a mistake when he let this get out, and I'm about to unpause it, and you're going to see the look on his face when he realize what he said. Uh, there is a gag order right now, but any... The family isn't under that gag order, but it's being argued online that anything that he says can't be admissible in the court. So if he lets out a piece of information or piece of evidence, that can't be used now. So...
10: um again similar to the connection but but motive i mean any indication as to like you said there's nothing that can explain this and you can't make sense out of something that doesn't make sense but any motive that you guys have gleaned from from all of this
9: i'd just be guessing but you know he taught a class that you know studied killers and how they did these things i think he thought in his little fantasy world that he was ahead. going to teach a class where he actually did it. No one had a clue. And then that that gave him a sense of superiority. Like uh, you're getting your grades, you know, graded by somebody who actually has lived this lifestyle. So, but that would just be my guess though.
0: All right. I'm going to go ahead to the next part of this. And the final part of this, I'm going to play for you at 1620. Time stamp. Let me check on that. Let me bring that back up. Sixteen twenty. Uh, sixteen. I'm going to go a little bit ahead. A little bit ahead. Uh, not too far. There. I'll take it to sixteen.
9: Replaceable. So, I think society needs to kind of do an audit check on itself and figure out you know, what our priorities are, and uh, is this going to go away on its own? On its own, I don't think so. I think we, we need to come together and figure out a way to um, treat people that have these conditions and identify them.
10: Steve, since the affidavit came out too, everybody's been talking about one of the girls' roommates. Um, you can't imagine what a young girl is going through when something like that happens. What is your take on the fact that the guy walked past her and she didn't call 911 for several hours and she'd heard some things? I mean, what's your take on all that?
9: I know uh, one time in the past that somebody was pretending to break into my house and Kaylee hid under her bed and called, you know, 911 and was too scared to even talk. And then she called me at work and I, and I prepared her to jump out that window because I didn't know that it was a practical joke. So I think that's a natural thing for girls to freeze up and lock up and, um, you know, put themselves in a position of safety. And I don't hold that against them. You know, it's, I've already checked into the, you know, could they have lived, you know, was it a slow bleed out or something? And it wasn't. So there's one bad guy here that I have to focus on. Um, all those other things will slowly come out. I'm sure they catch other people's attention, but for me, I really have to focus on the individual who's responsible for this and, uh, that is a big enough challenge and obstacle that we have to overcome then to worry about, you know, two girls that, you know, were just in the wrong place at the wrong time.
10: Yeah. It's, it's, it's like people are trying to cast blame and, and question why, and you just can't put yourself in their shoes. It sounds like maybe the girl was traumatized. I don't know.
9: Yeah. I mean, it's, I hate right, Hollywood makes this. it look like a girl will just do some karate move and chop it, knock this you know, knife out of his hands. In reality, she saved her own life by just being quiet and hiding. And that's a survival instinct. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to turn it.
0: So there, there's something right now that wasn't fully explained in the affidavit. And that was going to your room and hiding. She could have hid for a long time. She could have been terrified and hid. It doesn't talk about that. It just acts like she casually went in her room, opened the door three times, casually went in her room, it doesn't mm-hmm. talk about terror. It uh, doesn't talk about running under your bed, covering up, falling asleep because you were hiding. It doesn't talk about that, and that's something that they'd go into in the in the trial if she was up there on the stand talking and being cross-examined. I'm sure, and that might be have something, that might be something that's going to come up. So the phone lines are now open if you guys want to talk. I have some other stories that are on Idaho four related because that's what I do. They're not any less dark by any means.
4: City Klaus was killed in this, and her brother calls Roger Hager a monster for what deputies say he did. Detectives say he used a shotgun to kill his longtime partner and their two daughters, Autumn and Mackenzie. Deputies say Klaus was trying to leave the family home when things turned deadly. A county rocked by tragedy over the unthinkable killings of two girls and their mother all found shot to death at their home outside of Pullman Saturday.
11: I don't recall uh, a number or situation quite like this.
4: Elgin County Sheriff Frank Baker says 35-year-old Cindy Klaus was in the process of moving out and ending a relationship with Roger Hager.
11: Our detectives have advised me that uh, they had information that, um, that she was looking to leave the relationship and to get her and the children out.
4: Investigators say Hagger shot Klaus and their two children, 13-year-old Autumn and 10-year-old Mackenzie. One of Klaus's brothers found the bodies after the mother didn't return any calls in over 24 hours. When you're leaving domestic violence, that is the most dangerous time for you. And that's why things can turn deadly, says Cherie Thomas. She's with the Michigan Coalition to End Domestic and Sexual Violence. Why the kids? Why take the lives of the kids? It's the ultimate act of power and control. It It victims have been told, if you ever try and leave me, I will hurt the kids or take the kids from you. The two girls killed were both students at Fenville schools. Grief counselors were on hand today to help students cope. District superintendent says Mackenzie and Autumn always did the right thing. AND WERE TRULY REMARKABLE STUDENTS. FAMILY AND DETECTIVES SAY THERE WERE NO OBVIOUS SIGNS OF TROUBLE BEFORE THE INCIDENT, LEAVING DETECTIVES WITH UNANSWERED
11: QUESTIONS. THAT'S JUST SOMETHING I THINK WE'LL ALL BE MIND-BOGGLED ABOUT IS, YOU KNOW, WHY? WHY? YOU KNOW, AND um, THAT'S WHAT REALLY MAKES IT REALLY TRAGIC. I MEAN, IT'S TRAGIC ENOUGH WHEN SOMEONE TAKES THEIR OWN LIFE, BUT WHEN THEY TAKE SOMEONE WITH THEM, AND ESPECIALLY CHILDREN.
4: Autopsy results on all, all four are still pending. Autumn would have turned 14 tomorrow. She wanted to be a dermatologist, her family says. Live well, in the studio, Mike Cravesake.
0: All right, Mike. Horrible, horrible story. Uh, all the things that are going on. going on this week the link to everything i'm showing you in the description below the video
12: crimes detective division here at the high point police department uh, not to reiterate the timeline i think most of that has been pretty well established uh, i do want to say that the investigation is moving forward uh, very well and expeditiously um, we have been in contact with the affected family Uh, and they are cooperating with us fully. Um, And as the chief said, there is some information that we are going to hold back. Um, That's just to protect the integrity of the investigation. Uh, But at this time, I am uh, at a point where uh, we can announce that the offender uh, and one of the deceased, Robert Jeffrey Creighton, is being looked at as the primary uh, person who committed this act. We will also release, and I think it's been put out in the, the updated press release, uh, his wife, uh, Athalia Creighton, age 46, and one of the children, uh, Kate, Cassine Creighton, age 18. And the press release said that two other people inside the home
10: escaped. <clears throat> Were they related to the
2: victims?
12: That is correct. Uh, we aren't going to release their names at this time. Um, two surviving victims did, did escape the residence. Uh, One of them is a direct relation, and the other was an acquaintance. Yes, ma'am? Can
2: you release as to how
8: they were murdered? Was this gunshot, stabbing, uh, strangulation?
12: Yes, uh, I can release that um, the deceased had died of gunfire. For those of you
0: that are just tuning in, let me tell you what this is about. A man with a history of mental illness opened fire inside his North Carolina home, unlifing his wife and three children before himself. This was on Monday. His name is Robert Creighton, 45. The police chief said that in his 27, 28 years in the police department, he's never seen anything like this happen before. It's a great tragedy. One of the adults was a direct relation, the other was an acquaintance. The motive for the shooting is still unclear. It's going to be an investigation. Horrible tragic story. Guys, we got about four minutes. We're gonna end the show. Um, you guys don't have anything to talk about tonight. I do have more stories that I want to talk about. Here's some uh good news maybe.
11: Around five AM a reference to shots fired in a mobile home uh on Klein Road. I we refer to this Klein Road Mobile Home Park. And uh Deputies went to the scene where they found a, a male deceased there in the residence. Uh, through our investigation, identifying him and conducting our investigation, we determined that a few hours before this incident, this male had received a ride from Mr. Reams, had received a ride from another individual. Uh, need, he was needing a ride. Well, on the way to going to the location, he attacked the driver, started punching him, choking him, or whatever which caused the car to run into the ditch. Well, he tried to take possession of the car. Basically, it was a car jacket. He was trying to, but the car got stuck. So at that time, Mr. Reams left on foot. And then a few hours later, when we got the call, apparently he had forced entry into a mobile home where a a lady in her 30s, along with a five-year-old and an eight-year-old child were asleep. Uh, He was armed with a shovel and a lug wrench. She was awakened by him with a shovel. Uh, in fear for her life, she retrieved a Glock 40 handgun and fired one shot, striking and disabling him. And he later died for, as a result there on scene from a result, result of his injuries. Uh,
0: Somebody asked me last week could you do a show on how to prevent something like this? How to prevent the tragedy that happened in Idaho? And I thought about it, I'm like, anybody can unlife anybody at any given time, especially if it's um, quick and unsuspecting and there's no motive and it's not somebody you know and there's nothing that happened there. I mean, anybody can do that. So it's very dangerous. And you can't say, okay, well, a gun is a solution because there's a lot of training that goes into having a gun. You would have to know how to use it You'd have to expect to use it. Not only do you have to have one, you can't just put it on your bedside table. It could put your family at danger. Maybe your your spouse gets uh, mad sometimes and, well, there's a weapon right there, fully loaded, locked and loaded and ready to go, which is what you'd have to do to have it to be useful to you. It'd have to be right there, ready to use. What's the answer then? What is the answer then? you also have to have that weapon and be expecting to use it at any time. And that's dangerous too. I remember when I was over there in Iraq and I had a uh, forty-five pistol strapped to my hip all the time. There was one time I was asleep. and This is during active war. I had a nightmare. I woke up. I was sleeping outside on the ground in my sleeping bag. I woke up and I was sitting up. I had my pistol. In my hand. Safety off. I was pulling the trigger on a loaded gun. And I was holding it down range towards the captain of the battalion. I didn't pull the trigger. I woke up and the trigger was half pulled. That freaked me out. Guns are very dangerous. What is the answer then? This is a question we all have. I'd like to thank you for joining everybody. This has been another edition of Midnight Radio. I've enjoyed having a conversation with you. Yet again, I'm in the show right there. If you'd like to email me, that is midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. That is midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. You can call in, leave a voicemail message when the show's not going on. Something like someone's doing right now, but I'm sorry you're a little bit too late because the show is over. Please feel free to leave a message though. You can leave a message anytime when the show's not going on and we'll play it here on the show. If you don't want to play it, I'd rather you not call me. If you have an email that you don't want on the show, I'd rather you not email me because that's what it's for. Thank you very much. If you'd like to become a member of this channel, what you can do, there's three levels. There's $2.99, which is just Midnight Supporter. You just want to support us. You don't want anything else. The second level is Midnighter. That's $4.99 a month. And with that, you get bonus videos. You get bonus live streams. And you get access to the Midnight Radio Discord. And that's where the party's happening. Right after the show, everybody who's a member heads in there and talks about stuff and constantly posts information in there. That is the Midnighter level. And then there's the riding level. That's $9.99 a month. That is to become a Midnight Rider. Not rider, writer. We have a riding course. And to join the riding course, you get the live streams. You also get exclusive videos and you get the exclusive writing course videos and live streams. And we have a good writing group. I've got some of your assignments back already. They're really good. We're going to schedule the live stream for the writing group very soon. Where we're going to go over that and then we're going to move on to the next lesson. So if you're interested at all in becoming a member, you can click join and see what the different levels are and what you get from them. I'd like to thank you for joining me until next time. All my best. Now I'm going to do this for Jen out there. She wants to see this work correctly, this outro. So we're going to try it right now.